You're listening to The Drew Marshall Show, Canada's most listened to spiritual talk back program. yesterday morning, they let me know you were gone. Suzanne, the plans they made put an end to you. I walked out this morning and I wrote down this song. I just can't remember who to send it to. I've seen fire and I've seen rain. Well, up next on our show today, folks, is Anne Graham Lotz. Uh, she's got a, uh, a book out called Expecting to See Jesus, A Wake-Up Call for God's People, which is an expanded edition of I Saw the Lord. Look, 9-11 was a wake-up call for many, many people. Of course, uh, co-hosting today's show is Eric Metaxas from New York City. And, uh, of course, author of the Bonhoeffer book that many people are talking about these days, uh, Socrates in the City as well. And, uh, you know, when you think about this song, first of all, you and I are both James Taylor fans, Fire and Rain, and there's something about uh, flying machines and pieces on the ground. I mean, you know, you just go, I mean, what a song to be. He's a Nostradamus for our day. Pretty trippy in, in no, many I'm... ways. <laughs> wow, that was heavy and deep. But, uh, Anne... I think she's hit the nail on the head here because I think, you know, we get complacent too easily. 9-11 comes, we think the world, uh, you know, our world has changed forever, and what, two months later, we slip back into very similar kind of psyches and moods. Uh, 9-11 was a wake-up call, according to Ann Lotz, but did we sleep through the alarm? Uh, Ann believes that the attack on September 11th was America's wake-up call, and 10 years later, Ann still calls for God's people to wake up. Of course, Anne, daughter of Dr. Billy and Ruth Graham, fervently believes the signs of Jesus' return are being fulfilled. And apparently, uh, he will return during this generation, according to Anne Graham Lotz. I think this might be her third time on our show, and we love Anne Graham Lotz up here in Canada. Anne, thank you for joining us again. Drew, I'm honored. Thank you. And I, and I am honored also to be on the show with Eric. My husband grabbed that uh, biography of Bonhoeffer, read it, and before I could get it, my son-in-law read it, and they said it was the best biography that ever read. So oh anyway, my, goodness. my applause, Eric. Thank you. Well, that is incredible. I had the privilege of meeting your sister, Ruth, and uh, I was shocked that she knew the Bonhoeffer book and that she mentioned that you knew the book. And I said, oh, what, ha- shocked. I mean, <laughs> what has everybody happened? Everybody knows the Bonhoeffer book. Well, <laughs> this, is, this is news to me, my sister, and it's uh, a blessing. It's a great one and a very timely one. You know, it, um, I read a small piece on him, like um, just a uh, sort of a pamphlet on him and his, quoting some of his things. And I thought, boy, it could have been written today. Well, that's that's the thing. When I wrote the book, I had no idea that it would speak to us today. But that was the funny thing. As I was as I was writing it, I kept thinking over and over. The parallels are stunning. So yeah. people keep saying this. You're you're not the only one, obviously. But I, I thank the Lord that He's using this book, and it's a privilege to hear your voice. We love your voice, even if you didn't say great things. We just like your <laughs> voice you. anyway. Thank you. Excuse that's me. Excuse thank me. You. Do, do you mind if we talk about Anne Graham Lotz's book? Do you mind if we go to? Hasn't that? she sold <laughs> enough books? Let's get back to Socrates well, in the city. That um, I, I was saying Jesus is coming back in my generation, and you know the what I'm trying to do is match up what Jesus said with what I'm seeing going on in the world, and they match up, and that's what is so mind blowing, and that's why I think Christians are asleep. You know, we say we believe Jesus is coming back, and we sing wonderful songs about Jesus coming back, and we say that's our hope, but then actually, I don't think people, even within the church, 
really believe he's coming back. Or, or if they do, they think, well, it's another generation, it's a thousand years down the road. Yeah. Why couldn't it be this one? And, and speci- when I look at the signs, they're being fulfilled right now in my generation. And give us some specifics, because I have to say, this is, this is important, and I think it's true that we tend to look at this often in the abstract. You say, yeah, he's coming yes. back. But no, he's really coming back, That's right. and he didn't—he didn't come to Earth the first time in some abstract eternity. He came in a year, That's in a right. human year, uh, not that long ago. And the idea that he's coming back—it's not an abstraction. But what do you see when when you say you you, you sense that he's coming back soon? Specifically, what what do you mean? Because well, I, I just love to hear your your thoughts on that. Well, you know, there are two phenomenal signs that he gave, and and let me say this, um, just to preface it with this, that you cannot know the day or the hour. And Jesus said you cannot predict the day or the hour. And so for somebody to do that is um, contradicting what Jesus said. And we will not mention Harold Camping by name. (laughs) No, not on this show. No, that's unfair. Maybe just his initials? Is that okay? But you know, when he does something like that, it makes a joke out of it. And so that's the danger, I think. Amen. Amen. So I'm not... I'm not naming a day or an hour, but Jesus, his disciples, sat with them and said, Jesus, how will we know the generation? How will we know the last generation? So Jesus gave his disciples signs that would set the last generation apart from every other. There are two that are remarkable. One is that the gospel will be preached to the whole world. And in my generation, for the first time in human history, the gospel is being preached to the whole world. And Jesus didn't say everybody would hear it, but that the gospel would be preached to the whole world. And people today can hear it, if not in their first language, their second or third, if not in a live presentation, on the radio, internet, um, ham radio. You know, there's so many ways to get it today. And it's and the gospel is being preached all over the world. The second sign is the reestablishment of the nation of Israel. And in 70 A.D., the Romans destroyed her, and she ceased to exist. And then in, my, in May 1948, she came back and was reestablished, reborn, as a nation in the family of nations, recognized as such by the U.S. and by the U.N. And Jesus said the generation that sees that take place coupled with the gospel being preached to the whole world, would be the last generation. And then he gave other signs, and he said those were like birth pains. And um, you guys wouldn't understand, but when I had my children, you know, my birth pain started at five minutes and four minutes and three minutes, so they increased in frequency, and when they did, they increased in intensity. So when they first started out, I thought, you know, I can handle this. And then by the last one, I was hollering because I thought I can't stand one more of these. And then the baby came. But Jesus said the other signs that he gave, like um, in the environment, the record-breaking floods and hurricanes and tornadoes and volcano eruptions and all the things we're seeing around the world today, he said they would increase in frequency, increase in intensity, until they give birth to his kingdom on earth. And you put all that together in the same generation. And, and the reason I say it's mine is because I was born in May 1948. And so the very month that Israel was reborn, I was born. And so I believe... Whatever a generation is, you know, I know it's more than 40 years because I'm 63, so I'm going to guess maybe, I don't know if it's 70, or, but, but within my lifetime, I believe, I'm go- if I live out my natural lifetime, I believe I'm going to live to see the return of Jesus based on what he said and based on what I read in my paper and, and I get on the web. Okay, uh, and I can think back to my early days in the Jesus scene when I was listening to Keith Green and Larry Norman, and they were all saying the same thing. Uh, and their their lives have both passed. Both of those gentlemen have passed away. I would say that, the, you know, if they were still alive, would it be their generation? Okay, fine. But my point is this. People have been saying that Christ will return in their generation for generations. That's right. So it, it, to me, it's just a really risky and 
sometimes, well, in other people, see, I have a great respect for you. So when you say it, I, I, I listen. But the, for the most amount of people, or for the vast majority of people who say this kind of stuff, and I just cringe. You know, uh, I, I do too, to a certain extent. In fact, I've been told that I'm going to um, lose my credibility on this. But I've wondered if God has given me credibility for just this moment, so that people like you would listen. Because I'll tell you something, Drew, uh, human history had a beginning at creation. It had a midpoint, which is the first coming of Jesus. And the Bible clearly teaches it will have an end, uh, to human history as we know it, it will have an end when Jesus comes back. And so God has a plan and purpose for planet Earth and for the people who live here. And and so when we look at what he says, the other generations that you mentioned, they couldn't have said the, the signs were fulfilled as we see in our generation. Hmm. But, I, but I will tell you this, that if I'm wrong, and I readily admit I could be wrong, you know, I mean, I, I know I could be wrong. But I'm still expecting to see Jesus, because when I step into eternity, I'm going to meet him face to face. And I'll do that either at his return or at my death. But I, I, how should it affect us, though, Anne? In other words, uh, this is a bit of a, a crass way to, to ask this question, but does it, does it really matter? Uh, because w- what I see is when people uh, kind of fixate on the, on the possibility that Christ could return within their lifetime, when they fixate on that, there's a hyper-focus, and then they turn into weirdos. <laughs> he's not mentioning us by name, Ann, so don't feel bad. But he's looking at me well, funny. Well, I, you know, um, I guess each one would have to answer that question for themselves. I can tell you for me, I believe that um, I don't have another lifetime to do what God has called me to do. And I, what I try to do is get people into God's Word that they can know God in a personal relationship because God is not calling you and me to a religion or to a church or denomination or an organization or institution. He's calling us to himself. He wants us to know him in a personal relationship, which the Bible says we can do when we, we come to the cross of Jesus Christ. We confess that we're sinners and we tell God we're sorry and we claim Jesus as our Savior. Uh, and tell him we're willing to turn away from our sin, invite him to come into our lives as our Lord so that we surrender control of our lives to him. We are, um, then we become a child of God. We establish a personal relationship with God. Then we want to grow in that relationship. So I've been married for 45 years. We just had our 45th wedding anniversary Congratulations. last week. And, and so I'll tell you, it's, you know, when I first married my husband, I thought I knew him and loved him, but 45 years later, I can tell you, you know, it's very different now, and it's richer, and it's better, in some ways it's harder, but now we really know each other, and, and our relationship with God is similar. You come to the cross and you marry him, so to speak. You know, you say your vows of commitment. But then you get on with your Christian life, and the Christian life is not just a ticket so you can go to heaven. You know, your Christian life is so that you can get to know God and love God and serve God and bear fruit for him and make an impact on this generation for God so that when we get to heaven, we have something to show for our lives down here. Because I believe this life is just... It's like the narthex to a grand cathedral. You know, this this is this life is not all there is. It's just preparation. It's like boot camp for what comes next. And so, people who get fixated on the return of Christ and think it's some escape, and I, and it will be. You know, at a certain time, God will deliver us. But but the purpose is not to escape and be delivered. The purpose is to do what we can down here for Him now, according to His will and obedience to His word, doing it His way. So that when that moment comes, we have an abundant entrance into heaven. We have something to show for our lives here. If I can just tell you, if you love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you have a 
faint idea of what he's done for you and that he gave his life on the cross to take away my sins so that I could come into a right relationship with him, that I could go to heaven when I die. I want to tell you something. When I see him face to face and I see the scars on his brow where the thorns in, were and the scars on his hands and feet where the nails were and, and fully comprehend what it cost him to open heaven's door for me, I promise you I'm going to want to give him something. And there's nothing that I have that would be worth, worthy of what he's done, but maybe a life lived for him down here, flat out, you know, with abandonment, just all out, surrendered to him, committed to him, trying to bring other people to him. It would be something to show for, for what I've done down here. So that, that's what motivates me. All right. And Graham Lotz uh, on the phone with us. Uh, the book is called Expecting to See Jesus, A Wake-Up Call for God's People, forwarded by uh, uh, Mr. End Times, Joel Rosenberg. Are you and Joel doing some kind of simulcast thing or something uh, on uh, television? What's going you on know, with we you? We are. We're, we're doing that tomorrow night, actually, the 10th anniversary of 9-11. And uh, we started planning this 18 months ago, and it will be a live event that's going to go into um, over 400 churches in the U.S., Canada, Puerto Rico, um, and then it will go by uh, satellite uh, on satellite TV, God TV around the world. It will be carried live on radio stations, over 500 radio stations wow. in um, the U.S., and then you can get it on the web if you go to my website, which is com. Tomorrow night, 7 o'clock Eastern Time, it'll just stream live, and it's free. You know, mm. all of this is free. We're not trying to – there's no hidden agenda here. We're, Good. we're honestly trying to wake people up. Good, because uh, the majority of times when someone says that the world is coming to an end, uh, there's usually a, a, a Donate Here button to click on. <laughs> you know, so. That's right. Well, we, you know, I, I honestly believe Jesus is soon to come. At least he, he will come for me in my death, and that's fairly soon because I'm 63. But I believe he also is going to come at his – return to the whole world, which, could I add, is our hope, you know, that when we see the world melting down, unraveling, all this, uh, uh, you know, I'm not sure I haven't uh, followed what's going on in Canada, but we are inundated with floods, fires, tornadoes, hurricanes. We even had an earthquake in my state, which one of the first we've ever had. And, um, and so we can look up and know that soon Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to bring righteousness and healing and comfort and peace, and we have the hope of knowing that God is working out his plan and purpose. You know, I've been sitting around whinging to myself for the last year, complaining about the fact that I I, I don't think, and I, I you'd think I'd remember it if it happened, but I don't think I've had a... Uh, an encounter, a, a genuine, bona fide, uh, tangible encounter with God uh, after 30 years of following Christ. And with my luck, my first encounter is going to be his return. And he's going to walk straight up to me and go, seriously, dude, you want an encounter? Really? Here we go. You know what I mean? That's a little well, freaky. You know something, Drew? We walk by faith, don't we? So yeah. I don't know if I could say I have an encounter like what you're talking about. But I walk by faith. I encounter God when I open up my Bible, read it, listen for his voice to speak to me. You know, I can and, encounter but, and, and, and did you just tell me that you have not also had a tangible, sort of uh, uh, indescribable, uh, uh, irrational encounter with God? No. Oh, my goodness. You have no idea how good that makes me feel. I've been feeling like the biggest spiritual loser of the century because 30 years I've been asking and I, I, or I hung out with the, with the Pentecostals real early on and I wanted a whole lot of the cool gifts because they were cool, right? You know, the healing and the, the prophecy and the tongues and stuff. I didn't get any of those. And then I, I, I had a bunch of retreats and, and starving myself and what do you call it? Fasting. Uh, all sorts of great things. Nothing. And the same with you, Anne. Wait, you know, I, I know God through the Scripture. Can, I just can't underscore that enough. So when I read my Bible 
and I ask myself as I read, what does it say? What does it mean? How can I live this out in my life? And there are times when a verse will pop up off the page. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's like I hear God speaking to me through the verse, but I don't hear a voice. It's just that the words on the page come alive <laughs> and speak into my life. And when I pray, I, I know he's hearing me because he says if I pray to him in Jesus' name, he will hear me. There are times, Drew, in the last... I'd say last year, actually. There are times I felt abandoned by God. There are times since my son had diagnosed with cancer. My husband is an adult one diabetes, um, kidney failure. He's on dialysis. He's blind in one eye. Just so many difficulties. And there are times when I felt God has abandoned me. But I read in God's word, and it says, and I put my name in, Anne, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And I know God is with me whether I feel it or not. I don't live my life by my feelings. Mm. I live my mm-hmm. life by faith in the word of God. Well, that's exactly right, Anne. And I have to say, Drew and I were talking about this last night. I- I've had a number of experiences w- where the Lord has spoken to me, not in an audible voice, but where I know miraculously he broke through in a a mystical way. But, you know, if he doesn't do that, it it doesn't matter. The Lord speaks to everybody differently, and uh, we need to stand on what he says in the Scripture, and he's given us everything we need. It's a funny thing because sometimes we clamor after these spiritual gifts and these experiences, and the Lord gives us what he wants to give us by his grace. He doesn't give us what we demand. And so, but it's interesting to hear you speak that way. I think that will be a great comfort to a lot of people oh, that they comfort. need to stand on what the Word says. It's not our emotions. That's our right. emotions can be the most deceptive thing That's in the right. world, and it's the enemy uh, that wants to discourage us. But the Word of God is true, and I- I'm just uh, grateful to hear you speak the way you have this morning. Now, speaking of emotions, uh, where were you on September 11th, 10 years ago, Anne? Uh, I was uh, at home, and I was uh, just, I can't remember what I was doing, but my daughter called me and said, Mom, turn on the TV because a plane has flown into one of the towers in New York, and I thought I was going to see a little Piper Cub dangling from a window, you know. Yeah. And, and so when I turned it on, I saw the tower smoking and flames and, you know, heard what the announcer was saying, saw the second one hit, and then I'll never forget the horror of seeing all of a sudden the thing, one of them begin to crumble, and hear the announcer say, oh, no, it's going, it's going, and, and um and it's like, it, it brings chills to me even now as I, I remember that. And then to see the mushroom crowd of debris and smoke and dust. And um, and at the time, they were saying 25,000 people worked in each tower. And mm. so I thought I was watching 50,000 people step into eternity. Yes. You know? And um, it was very sobering. And it was a wake-up call to me because I wondered how many of them stepped into eternity that day. They didn't know that. They just went to the office, you know, maybe got a cup of coffee, turned on their computer, and had no idea the next second they were going to be in God's presence. You know, I, I want to say, this is uh, Eric Metaxas here. I, yeah. I want to say that, um, you, if I remember correctly, your father spoke at the uh, National Cathedral. Am yes. I getting this right? Yes, that's right. Because I remember, and this is very significant, and it ties into the thesis of your new book, Expecting to See Jesus, that, that, we, there, that 9-11 was a wake-up call that we missed. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because I will remember... When your father spoke, he is the only one, his was the only voice that I heard speaking what you would expect an evangelical Christian to say, which is, let this be a reminder that we are all a moment from eternity. That's right. And let this remind us of our mortality, that any minute we could die, and where are you going? Have you thought about where you're going? Your father was the only one. And I have to say, that's an extraordinary thing that we, we live in a culture that's so politically correct that only the great Billy Graham would dare speak what ought to have been obvious yeah. to anybody who knows Jesus, that these things ought to remind us of our mortality. We're here for a season. And are we thinking about where we're going eternally? Um, I, I will never forget that. Hmm. You know, and that's such a great concern, isn't it, Eric? Because if the church doesn't get the message 
if, if we're not giving out the message, then who is? Well, that's the point. The church, yeah. and that's why I think your book is is so timely, because the fact is the church has backed away. We've, we've sort of, um, I think, been intimidated by an aggressive secular culture into saying that that's out of bounds, don't talk about that. I think we need to talk about it. Yeah, but hold on. I'm convinced that if anybody's going to talk about uh, the wake-up call, the fact that we are human, and that, think about eternity, it's where you're going after you die, like, the church should do that. I get that. But... But have we learned the right language to communicate? Because I think, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but Eric, but, you know, we haven't been the best at, at uh, trumpeting the notes uh, that will penetrate. We just tr- grab the trumpet and start hammering the thing as opposed to uh, uh, working on, you know, getting it into a, into a message that will penetrate. You know, you know what I'm saying? To some extent. I guess I'm just saying that what, I, I want to ask the question is why is it that when I hear Billy Graham say this, I don't feel that it's spoken because, incorrectly. Because he's, her, he's earned the right to speak into our lives. Right. And and I don't know who else is out there that has the integrity that, that uh, Anne, your father, has earned over the years. But, you know, uh, to be honest, Drew, your pastor should have that credibility with you. And uh, the people, your Christian friends should have that kind of credibility with you. And so, I, so if I pull it down to an individual level, you know, and look at individual Christians, people who call themselves Christians, who sit in church every Sunday hmm. and ask them, how has your relationship with God changed since 9-11? You know, I, I know that we go through airports differently, and I know we do some things differently because of 9-11, but, but how has your relationship with God changed? Are you reading your Bible more? Are you praying more? Are you sharing the gospel more with your unsaved friends? What difference has it made in your Christian life? And you know something? For the, for the vast majority of those who call themselves Christians, it hasn't made them it hasn't changed them at all unless it's made them more politically correct, Right. unless it's made them more silent. Right. right. Okay, uh, Eric and I were talking earlier in the show. By the way, we're on the phone with Anne graham Lotz, and we're chatting about her latest book, Expecting to See Jesus, A Wake-Up Call for God's People. Uh, sort of a post-9-11, 10 years ago, uh, listen, uh, did, you know, we all sat there that day and took a, took stock of life, I think. If, if, you, if you had a pulse, I think that's what you did. And now what are we doing? Uh, maybe we need to wake up again. Um, Eric and I were talking earlier, Anne, about the Washington Monument, the crack being in it, and Pat Robertson saying on television he thinks this is a sign from God. Uh, dare you comment on 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 that uh you know eric eric had a, 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 a I, nice I, rebuttal which said well maybe it is a sign for just think the it, fact that pat robertson think, said it doesn't mean it's but, not yeah no i was saying that i think that it's we live in a culture that's so cynical against god and that that pat robertson as soon as he says anything people are prone to mock it but i think that honest minds would have to say that to have an earthquake in washington dc and for the washington monument to crack it, it's only logical to think that this could this could be a sign from God. And we shouldn't have this knee-jerk reaction to say, oh, only phony religious people, only crazy people would say that. Why? Because the Lord does speak in signs. And I think that if we humble ourselves and say, perhaps it is a sign. What's God saying? Is there something that God is saying? What's so wrong with that? Well, if, if I could look at it, I didn't hear actually what Pat Robertson said, so sorry. But um, if, if I can just look at it from the context of what Jesus said in Matthew 24, when he said in that last generation, he, he gave the signs that we would see, and earthquakes were one of them. And, and he said in many different places. 
And so, so looking at that, not the crack in the Washington Monument, but the earthquake that hit Washington that was the one that we felt. I'm in North Carolina, but it reverberated down here to the point I thought somebody was shaking my chair from behind. Yeah. You know? and, I felt it, it in New York one. City, if you can believe it. Yeah, it, it was amazing. And so that is a sign. And then there was one in Seattle this past week. And, uh, and you know, they're all over the world in places that you would never expect to have an earthquake. Some of them major, some of them out, you know, out, off the coast of Alaska, which I think they didn't feel it so much inland. But, but they're all over the place, and they're increasing in frequency, increasing in intensity. They're record-breaking, if not in the intensity of it, in the fact that it's never been one there before. Go, and so that I see as a sign from God. And I will go one step further in case you didn't know. The National Cathedral, where your father spoke 10 years ago, uh, they were slated to have a 9-11 memorial service with the president speaking, and there was a mishap. There was a crane. or so, Actually, I, I take this back. The National Cathedral was damaged in this earthquake that we're yes, talking it lost about. Spires, I think. And um, they, uh, there was some mishap with a crane recently, so they have now canceled... This event, this 9-11 event at the National Cathedral is no longer going to be held there. It's going to be held, get ready, at the Kennedy Center. Now, the Kennedy Center, Glenn Beck had an event there about a year ago, and they forbade him from praying on the stage. They said, we don't do that here. This was at the Kennedy Center. They said, we, we, you cannot pray on the stage. They, it almost came into a lawsuit. So how bizarre is it that uh, this 9-11 event that was slated to be at the National Cathedral is now not going to be at the National? I mean, you know, well, if, just, if you're it, looking for weird stuff, this is weird stuff. Well, you know, it's the same thing in New York. So when the mayor calls the 9-11 commemorative service for tomorrow, then um, no one is allowed to pray. It's, it is disp- as a New Yorker, I will say publicly, it's despicable. It's a level of arrogance and secular fundamentalism, which most average Americans would just be shocked at, that somebody would do that, that this mayor really is so out of bounds and so out of touch with the average American that it's spectacular. It's extraordinary. But, you know, the thing that's very concerning to me is that when you ignore God and you defy God and you basically are telling him, get out, God, we don't want you in our service, we don't want you in our city, we don't want you in our government, our businesses, our schools, and God, he, he's not going to send down fire and brimstone necessarily, but he just backs out. He, you tell him to get out, and with tears coming down his cheeks, he, he gets out, and then he removes his hand of blessing and his hand of protection. And then we're subjected to things he otherwise would have protected us from. So, if, so God's judgment to me is just separation from God, where he just gradually withdraws himself from our nation, from our culture, from our people, and that to me is terrifying. It's Romans 1. It's the judgment that he said in Romans 1 that begins when people refuse to acknowledge him as God and they refuse to thank him and then it goes right on down the spiral of sin until he backs completely out of their lives and gives them over to themselves and says, all right, you know, you want to run your life, go right ahead, and they absolutely destroy each other. It reminds me of uh, of my feeble attempts to parent a 22-year-old and a 19-year-old. You know, they uh, they uh, give you so many indicators, direct and, and indirect, that they want you to step off, to back the train up. And then when you do, uh, you know, they, they tank their life here or they trip over this or they, you know, whatever. And, and then they sort of expect you to pay for it all still. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, but the, the wonderful thing about God as our parents is that if we cry out to him and say, God, have mercy on us. We're so sorry we told you to get yes. out. Please yeah. come back in. He will come back in, and he has paid for it all. Yeah. He just gave us Jesus. He sent Jesus to the cross to pay it all for us, but we have to come to the cross and claim it for ourselves for it to be effective. I really like you. 
<laughs> I'm just saying. No, he was looking at me, Ann. No, I did not say that to you. <laughs> he was looking at me. Well, Ann, like when, are you, when are you coming to New York City? I live in New York City, and I would just love to have oh, you speak Eric, at an event. Actually, um, you know, I'll be there this week coming up. I'm, I'm coming up to do um, several things for this book. So I'll be there. I think it's on Friday. I think you two should do lunch. Hey, should be tea. What do you do in I'm New York? Getting, I'm going to be. You know, I'm, I'm going to be on my way to Germany because the Bonhoeffer book is coming out in German next week. So you see how fast he got out of that? Isn't yeah. It? No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I'll show you my passport. I'm not. Making it's that like up. people down here. They say, "Please come see us," and you say, "When?" And they say, "Oh, you know," and yeah. then they just walk on off. <laughs> oh my goodness! And thank you again so much for joining us on our show. You're an thank absolute you, delight. Well, God bless you both. God bless you too, Eric. Bye-bye. Folks, Ann Graham Lotz on the Drew Marshall Show. Again, the book is Expecting to See Jesus, a wake-up call for God's people. Folks, a short break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Drew Marshall Show on Joy 1250. Hey, folks, I want to tell you about the Drew Marshall Show 1250 special. You ready for this? For $12.50, that's right, only $12.50, we'll mention your organization's name, website, and a brief description. Did you catch that? During each show, we'll read out your organization's name, website, and a brief description for only $12.50. Now, obviously, there's no point in doing that only once during a four-hour show, so we'll read your advertisement four times per show for an entire month, and each time we do it, it'll only cost you $12.50. It's kind of like putting an advertisement up on every church bulletin in the GTA, except you don't have to get permission from that grumpy old lady at the front desk. Now look, because there are limited spots available for our 1250 special, why don't you call us right now, toll-free, on 877-JOY-1250. Now sure, we're right in the middle of things here in the show, but if you call us right now, toll-free, on 877-JOY-1250, we'll take your name and number and call you back on Monday to sign up for the Drew Marshall Show 1250 special. This is nuts. Are you sure we want to do this? How am I supposed to make any money? 